Morning scripture is from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, I'm the RUF campus minister at UTSA. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning and worship. Um, I am uh, the father of Tilly, Margot, and Max. My wife's name is Sarah. We've been married for 13 years, um, and we, we love being in San Antonio. So it's really been a pleasure to be here, uh, and it, it's a gift to be able to fill in for Luke. Uh, I'm really grateful for him. He's a great friend, and uh, I know he pastors you all very well uh, as, as your pastor here at Christ Church. Um, as we get started this morning, we read the entire Beatitudes, uh, which is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Um, and really what that gives you is a composite of a Christian. That's uh, the composite picture of what a Christian is. These, these aren't things that you can uh, choose to have or choose not to have. Um, there isn't like the mourning people, the people who are mourners, uh, the people who are meek, and then the people who are, uh, you know, generous, as we're going to talk about today, and merciful. But this is a picture of what a Christian is. Uh, and I love the Beatitudes. It's something that I take students through every single fall semester as freshmen. Uh, I think it's really important to, to walk through this slowly and to kind of understand uh, just how big of a deal it is to be a Christian, how sacrificial it is, uh, how high the bar is set, uh, but also how beautiful it is. And my friend, um, Matt Howell, who's a pastor in Memphis, formerly an RUF campus minister, I think gives two great categories to the Beatitudes. He says that there are those who lack, which are the first four categories, uh, and then those who love, which are the next ones. And this, this person, the one who is merciful, is the first of the people who loves. Uh, and, and it's evident, right? A person who is merciful, who shows pity and compassion, which is another way to define that through the Greek word, uh, is, is someone who shows their love to another person. And oftentimes it's, uh, it, it's a person who may, not, uh, be, who, who may not be deserving of that love. Um, but I love the fact that this is a, this is a place where we can think of someone who has an abundance of love and is willing to share that love 
with others because of how greatly they've been loved. I also want you to think of mercy in the context of justice, of the fact that someone has uh, had, had, that, that mercy is actually paired with the idea of someone receiving justice for what has been done to them. So keep that in your back pocket, in the back of your head, whatever, whatever you may. And the idea of mercy is something that can be, that we can talk about in a very ethereal, very abstract way. And so what I want to do is I actually want to take us to a parable that will give us a great picture of what it means to be merciful, of what Jesus may even be uh, thinking about here. And so Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, I'm going to read this to us, and we're going we're gonna to go through it kind of uh, piece by piece to understand what it means uh, to be a merciful person, what it means when Jesus says, blessed are those who are merciful. This is going to be familiar for a lot of you. Uh, But I will read, you follow along, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road when he saw him. He passed... uh, going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is a year's wage, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, for for the sake of our time, we're not going to investigate what the priest and the Levite did wrong. You might have heard a sermon, or you can go back and listen to a sermon, but I actually want us to focus in on the Samaritan and why Jesus puts the story ahead and why it is that this man, this man of the law, this man who knows God's word really well, would reply and say that he is the one who showed him mercy and how that is an amazing example for us today. And so there's three things that I want us to take from it is that mercy is necessary Mercy is difficult, and then mercy is impossible and freeing at the same time. So the first thing is that mercy is necessary. Christianity's societal outworking is actually built on the heart of this parable, on the Good Samaritan. The faithful Christian has always seen this parable as central to what we believe and the outworking of what we do. In fact, you think of it, even all of Western civilization is kind of centered around the Good Samaritan. We even have laws that, that, that allow someone to go and help someone that is in need. And if that person dies, there is a clause, it's a Good Samaritan clause, that protects them from, from being persecuted, for being prosecuted uh, for the wrongful death that, that happened. Because of the idea that we, as people in Western society, who have been influenced by Jesus and by Christianity, 
believe that it is better to help someone than to just let them die. Having compassion on someone is a major thing that is, that, that is part of what we believe. And it is at the heart of the Christian gospel. It is the heart of what Christian people believe. I, I'm not sure if you know this, but in the, in the turn of um, the millennium, right, in the first of uh, Jesus's days, after Jesus died in the Roman Empire, in a time and a place where Christians were persecuted, many of them persecuted, many of them having to hide out. One of the main practices that would happen for Roman people is that if they saw their, their child was not worthy to, to have their name and to be raised, they would put them aside and, and they would let them die. They would let them be without shelter, without food, without a family. And Christians were the people who would go by and pick these children up, many of whom uh, were, were left aside, were literally to be, to be killed and, and uh, to be thrown away, providing mercy. They saw these children as people who were made in the image of God. It is at the heart of what the Christian church is all about. Uh, it's at the heart of, of even what makes up our society. In fact, the majority of the hospitals around our country were started with Christian principles in mind. I love the origin story of the Mayo Clinic. I'm not sure if any of you are from Minnesota or know about Rochester, Minnesota, but my father-in-law has served there for over 45 years uh, at the Mayo Clinic. And what happened was in 1883, there was a major tornado that, slept, that, that swept through Rochester, Minnesota that leveled about a third of that town. You can imagine this is a small town anyway. It's not a big place right now, but at that time it was even smaller. And in that time, there was a man named William Mayo who had set up a clinic. And somehow he had avoided getting swept up in the tornado. Uh, he took his children away and he decided to set up these little makeshift clinics to care for people. He then coupled with the, the founder of the Sisters of St. Francis, a woman named Mother Alfred Mose in Rochester. And over the next decade, they built what would then become the Mayo Clinic. They built this hospital, uh, St. Mary's Hospital, the place where my wife was even born almost a hundred years after this tornado happened. And if you know the Mayo Clinic, it's a place of innovation. It's a place where people can get specific needs met. And that's the history of most hospitals in the U.S. Most hospitals, most uh, e even nonprofits were started with this mentality and this idea in mind that we want to care for and that we want to show love to people in need, that we have pity on them and, and, and in some way we can help them. And William Mayo and then his children after him, his sons, decided to devote their lives to doing this. And now there are more and more people that help out. And I want you to understand the story as uh, something that the Samaritan man did. He saw in the midst of crisis a way that he could care for this man that was in need. It's a necessary response of love and compassion to actually do something about it. To see a man, and, and we don't even know what happened, but he fell among robbers. They stripped him. They beat him. We don't understand the backstory of what happened here. We just know that he was in need, and it says in verse 30 that he was left half dead. And 
again, two other people who were religious and knew the Bible and taught the Bible and even cared for the spiritual needs of people in their congregation passed by and then the Samaritan woman has compassion on him and helps him out. And that is the mentality that we ought to have. And I understand that that is hard, but it is a necessary outworking of a heart that has been changed and has been loved deeply by God. Now, let's get a little theological with this. A merciful person, what they do is that by extending mercy to others, by giving mercy, by showing love and showing compassion and actually doing something, what, what we are doing is then pushing back the harm that is caused by the fall. And what I mean by that is that the harm that is caused by sin in the world, the harm that was caused on this man, on the, on the man who fell into the hands of robbers, is then pushed back by this man who helps him, by the Samaritan who helps him. And you and all of us, in, in small ways, can do that. When we see people in need, we can care for them in particular ways. When we see someone who has been brutalized by another person, we can care for them in specific ways. We can actually show them the mercy of God with our hands. That is a beautiful and wonderful thing for us to be able to push back the curse and by consequence also to show the justice that God desires. So that's the first thing is that it's necessary but the second thing that I want you to really wrestle with is that mercy is difficult. Mercy is difficult because it means sacrifice. It means that we actually do things that, that stretch us emotionally, that stretch us financially, that cause us to give away our funds, our time, our help. I have kids. Those, those, things, are, those, those things are scarce in my life. I'm not sure about you. I would imagine, based on what we just prayed, that that is, the, that is the heart and that is the context of a lot of you guys. And so you see what the, the Samaritan does. It says, he went to him, this man who fell among the robbers, and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. These were very fine things that people kept to themselves, that, that people enjoyed, uh, that would also help them when they had wounds, when they had other things that they needed to take care of. And then he set him on his own animal, which is a very vulnerable thing, allowing this man to be on his animal, potentially with viruses, potentially with uh, anything. He, he, he could have been faking it and then could have overtaken this man. And then he takes him to the inn to take care of him. And the next day he takes out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, asking that the man continue to be taken care of. Now, again, I want to tell you that mercy is so difficult. It is hard. It requires us to give out of abundance, which to some of you sounds like the noblest thing to do. It's like, yeah, of course, we ought to be merciful because that is what you should do. But it's actually very, very difficult in practice, especially when, like many of my students that I interact with, have seen their grandparents Parents, aunts and uncles get taken advantage of by people, by taken advantage of by, and, and they're good, solid, loving people. 
people, but they see that there are those people who will seek out those who will help and will take every, every last thing. Will take because they know that they can. And one of my students, uh, she, w- was, she had such a hard time as we were going through this passage. She said, it is just so hard for me to believe that Jesus would actually want people like my grandmother to get taken advantage of. Because she's so kind and she's so merciful. Why does he allow this to happen? Again, out of the abundance of the heart, we are willing even to, even to give when we know that it may not turn out well for us. That is a difficult thing for us to wrestle with. Another difficult thing is something that I like to call mercy fatigue. It's a real thing when you see that uh, you are in a context, either in a job or in a place where you have to keep giving constantly. They, there can be a dark side to it, and you can uh, get taken advantage of. And maybe that's the context that a lot of my students are dealing with. But I experienced this kind of mercy fatigue in a job that I had. I was a caseworker in St. Louis after I graduated my seminary program. I did a counseling degree as well. And I wanted to work for this large hospital system for two reasons. For a fast track to a uh, license, but also because I wanted to see how I could help in particular ways in people's lives. Um, And as I was taking this job, I saw the ways that caseworkers would just get ground down because all they were doing was helping people all day with amazing things, food, shelter, even providing friendship, giving them medicine, helping stabilize some of their life. But often the work was just too much. The, the, the fall itself, the sin in the world, the sin inside of a particular person almost like overtook you because you saw how, how difficult it was. And I saw that in the first year, about half of the people that I worked with would quit. And the second year, even more. And it, and it was such a difficult job. Though a client might say that they need only $200 per month to get by, they really needed something so much more. They needed something so much more. And so the, the system that ideally was there to take care of them just couldn't do enough. And to be honest, we need to bump up against systems like that. This isn't just a government problem. This isn't just some, some kind of problem that we as Americans have. It's a problem of living in a broken and a fallen world. Is that we can't do enough. Is that mercy in and of itself is not enough. Providing help to someone. Lending a hand to them. Often we, we bump up against the fact that we just cannot save a person from what has been done to them. And so, we must have something more. So how do we keep on going and not just constantly be frustrated with where we are in the world? That is, that's almost too difficult of a question to deal with right now. Because I can give you an answer. I can show you mercy in the, the best sense as possible. I can even show you who Jesus is and his work, but in many ways, we're emotionally going to struggle with how difficult it is to provide, to provide mercy 
with others. And so do we just settle? And do we just say, we're going to give a little bit of mercy to people? In my eight years on campus, I have seen that when students really grasp the gospel, there are amazing ways that they are able to show mercy to their friends. That they are able to sit with people who they once hated. That they're able to show generosity in ways that are unthinkable. And really what, what they're doing is that they're desiring to be the hands and feet of Jesus as a way of then telling the good news of the gospel. It is by the free grace of Christ alone that they are saved and that they even have that opportunity to show love to others. And so lastly, as we talked about this difficult part of mercy, the last thing is that mercy is freeing and impossible. Um, it is such an amazing opportunity. It, it, it's so fulfilling to be able to show someone love. Unhindered, desiring not for it to be reciprocal, but just to give yourself and your things away. Because you know that they're not yours. Because you know that they are good gifts of God. It is so freeing to be able to do that. And yet at the same time, it is impossible for us to be able to do that as freely as we would like. We have needs. Many of us have families. We have things that we have to take care of. We're also sinful people. We can't forget that. A major part of the gospel, a major thing that I love sharing with students who are far from Jesus is that I am a sinner in need of God's grace. I cannot perfectly grant, like, give mercy to others. I won't perfectly be able to give my love, be compassionate to others. I am going to fail. And yet it is because of the love of Christ in me and the love of Christ that I can give to another person that they might be saved, that I am saved. As we close, I just want to give you this picture, this example of what a merciful heart uh, could look like. Uh, there's a show on CBS called Undercover Boss, where a CEO usually goes disguised as a new worker, is followed around by a camera crew, but it's always, uh, you know, mentioned as though it's not uh, this, this show, uh, that something else. They're often really humorous, and they follow along this very similar line. There's three people that the person typically interacts with. Two of them are okay. They're okay workers. And then one of them is spectacular, but is typically in this lower role and has lots of boundaries to get past. And what, what's amazing is that after, at, at the end of the show, there's a meeting where the CEO meets with these particular people one at a time. And when they get to the last person who is a spectacular person, a spectacular worker, they are, the, the worker is astonished that this is the person that they interacted with, the CEO, the person with all the power. And what, what usually happens is that some kind of grand reveal is given and the needs of this person are typically met. So they are, they go to college, they get a loan. There's, there's something amazing what happens of what happens. And the person is typically brought to their knees and they are so thankful 
for the generosity that's been given to them. As you think of that, I want you to understand that that is but a shadow of the great mercy that is given to us by Jesus. It's just a shadow of the great mercy given us given to us by Jesus. I love the way that Dane Ortland puts it on in Gentle and Lowly. I saw it's outside in the um, on the info table. If you don't have this book, definitely get it and read it. He says this on the day of judgment when we stand before Jesus. Quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy, rich heart we had. In this, we will get to enjoy his mercy, rich heart. Not just in this one moment when he grants us mercy and we get to live with him forever, but that we will continue to be recipients of that mercy. And so as dissatisfied as you are with the mercy that's in the world, the mercy that you can give, know that that is our hope. And I think it is great hope for those of us who are broken and struggle deeply, who are even coming in here thinking, I don't even know what I'm going to do next. It is great hope for us. It is great hope for those who are faithful, who have never known a day without Jesus, that one day it won't be mixed. Our love for God, his love for us will be completely poured out so that we do not have to feel like there is a lack of mercy. It's all going to be given to us. And what incredible hope for those of you who are lost, who aren't Christians, who are coming in today confused about who Jesus is. What great hope to know that this richness and mercy can be given to you and and can be found through the person and work of Jesus today. Let me pray for us.